Hi everybody, this is Loretta from Next Sequence and you're listening to the Next Sequence podcast. More and more tech bio founders out there like myself before going from entrepreneur to investor have been trying to bring in computing technologies to biotech. In this show, I sit down with some of the most impressive founders of what we call now tech bio to learn more about their journey and inspire other founders or wannabe founders to follow in their tracks. TechBio is all about fixing the problem of the world, and the world needs more and more TechBio founders. So, listen up. Hi everyone, thank you so much and welcome to this new episode of Tech Bio by Next Sequence. And we are super exciting today to receive Swami Vijayat, CEO of Zafrans. Hi Swami. Hi Loretta, thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Amazing. So uh, let's deep dive because there's a lot of things to say about Zafrans and I really want to give you time to go into detail about what the company is doing. But as we usually do, I would like to start with you as a person in your personal journey. So can you tell us a little bit more about you, where you're coming from, and how did you go from your original study to building Zafrans? Um, Sure, happy to. So I, I was born and raised in India. I came to the US for my graduate studies. Um, I have a background or academic training in physics. Um, I, I was in a PhD program in physics and midway through decided that I want to do something more useful and interesting with my life um, and decided to do more experimental stuff. Um, so that's the, the rough background. I mean, again, the, the, the training and the original interest in theoretical physics um, has guided quite a bit of how I think about biology and chemistry uh, in my professional career now. Um, so the, the, the best training I got in having started my career in theoretical physics is trusting um, foundational truths, I mean, something have to be true, um, and, 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 and building, um, from first principles, if you, if you, if you, if you'd like to call that, um, I mean, there are some foundational concepts that have to be true. Um, and, and again, bringing that type of view towards biology and chemistry, where everything can change. Everything is variable. Everything is highly disordered and, 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 and massively complex. Um, but bringing this vision that you know, there are fundamental truths and um, you can reconstruct um, concepts using those foundational truths um, has served me well in my type of interdisciplinary uh, role in the company that I've built. It's very funny because uh, when we met a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was actually looking at your profile and I noticed that you were coming from theoretical physics. And this was very warm to me because I'm actually also coming from theoretical physics. Uh, this is was the or my origin story. I left my uh, master in uh, fundamental physics many many years ago to go into computing. And it's very funny when you say there is this desire, there is this I would say deep desire to understand the world. And so with that desire comes I would say unbound unbounded curiosity that makes sense for you and make sure that you you see your connection in between physics and the laws of physics and the way that you understand it and uh, biology and mathematics and computing and it all makes sense to you because it's just uh, understanding the world and how you're piecing things together. So 
Uh, it's very funny to see a fellow uh, former physicist <laughs> going into genomics. And so how do you move from uh, academia to then finding yourself working on, you know, research for novel sequencing at Illumina? Um, so the, the first job out of graduate school um, was a company called Bionera Genomics, where they focused on understanding and manipulating DNA as a biophysical object. Traditionally, we consider DNA as a biochemical object, uh, stores information, it's a bunch of nucleotides and kind of copied transfer information and so on. Bionera Genomics was interested in stretching DNA in nanochannels. So it's a very, very physical system where you're kind of, you know, um, reducing the entropy of DNA and, and imaging it and looking for fluctuations, um, which directly built on my earlier training in, in you know, string theory and, 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 and um, models, polymer models of strings and so on. So it was very much a theoretical position that I first got into, basically modeling DNA in confined geometries. And I was so fascinated by the, the idea that you could actually watch living material or, or the source of life and that you can manipulate as a physical system that I ended up doing a lot of experiments. That's the first time I'd actually worked with uh, any biological system. So I pretty much slept in the lab uh, and, and learned all the basic skills, PCR, manipulating you know, biological systems, even pipetting, measuring concentrations, um, that kind of stuff. So that, that started my um, path towards genomics and biology. And um, I, I developed a number of theoretical concepts as well as experimental methods there. Basically, you know, um, if you if you image specific sequences on the DNA using restriction enzymes, um, could you then overlap them and map, you know, larger constructs, larger contigs? So that's where I got started in genomics. And um, I kind of worked at a couple of different startups from there, um, all in genomics. So that was my first foray and eventually ended up at Illumina in, in a kind of bioinformatics role. I was originally hired as a bioinformatician given my theoretical background, uh, but I also had some experimental skills and Illumina recognized that and they kind of let me uh, drive a lot of experimental programs um, across nanofabrication, molecular biology, um, some enzymology type of work as well. Yeah, I totally get, uh, I totally get it. And so following Illumina, I think uh, that desire to to have impact on the world rather than just trying to understand the world was a little bit more, I would say, present than uh, it would have been on anyone else. And you started actually building companies, many companies. You are actually serial entrepreneurs that have already built and ran three companies previously uh, before Zafrance. So how did you go uh, from that original position at Illumina to getting the idea of, okay, I really think that I can make contribution here. And so I'm going to build a company and what were your first uh, choice? Yeah, the, the, the genesis was basically the broader perspective that I had, um, that I could, I could understand biology, I could understand chemistry, um, I could do computation. So I could see possibilities that seemed somewhat unique to me so I, I, tell, I thought that um, starting my own company and, and testing those hypotheses uh, made the most sense and, and, and might have the, the most impact um, given my specific skills. So that was my, my, my kind of reason to try entrepreneurship. And the original idea when I started my first company, Omnium, Illumina was an amazing company. I mean, it, it is the godfather of tech bio. Uh, they did very, very interdisciplinary, very, very complicated stuff, but it was very, very complicated. And what I had realized was genomics and the value that genomics and sequencing brought to society was so huge that I did not want it to be stuck behind complex technologies. 
So the thought behind Omnium was could we trivialize sequencing? Could we democratize it? Could we decentralize it? Could we make it be available everywhere so the true power of genomics can be uh, can benefit society? So the idea was, can we simplify every element of, of uh, genomics? So traditionally, sequencing has been used labeled nucleotides. All the complexity comes in a fluorescently labeled nucleotide. Um, that's a very, very kind of weak signal, a single fluorophore. And the thought was, could you move it to the larger molecule? There's enzymes involved in the sequencing process. There's polymerases involved. Could we use polymerase as a readout? So it was a, it was a kind of um, somewhat of a radical concept because polymerase are known to be non-specific. Basically, they I mean A, T, G, C. They bind with equal affinity to all four of them, dependent on the template. So it was a, it was a, it was a little bit of a crazy idea. But um, I noticed that some other people have thought about it as well. So I just took the plunge. Um, and because polymerases are much much larger than than nucleotides, um, you could put lots more fluorophores on them. You could get a lot more signal out of them. And you don't even have to have a fluorophore. Polymerases have mass. And you can actually use a mass as a readout for the process. So that was the, the genesis for Omniome. Um, could we take a much larger object that is, should be easy to detect? Can we build a very simple detection platform, uh, uh, this concept? So that was the, I mean, we actually did end up doing that. So we actually bent, built a very portable system. Again, the original concept was around, could we use mass sensing or refractive index sensing as a readout for a sequencing? Um, so we ended up building it, demonstrating that it is actually possible. We actually could make a battery-operated portable DNA sequencer, and we actually integrated sample prep into it. So we just put a swab. Um, the machine extracts the DNA, amplifies the sequencer. Ended up being, again, today, the world's most accurate sequencer, a variant of it at least. So, so again, that, that was, that was the, 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 the origin story there, um, is my belief and perspective that a polymerase should be able to be used as a readout for sequencing and figuring out all the accoutrements and uh, engineering required to make that happen. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was the, the the first company. And as you said, it was uh, you, you managed actually to build a company, build a product, and uh, really execute on the vision that you had originally to use this polymerase. Because at the end of the day, you were being able to have a machine that became one of the most used machine in terms of new type of sequencing and being able to simplify that workflow. So I think this is mostly one of the reasons why you guys were, uh, I would say, ants were acquired by Passive. Uh, Pacific uh, Bioscience, uh, up to 800 million, right? Yeah, so right, yeah. it was kind of a very beautiful acquisition. And uh, you could have stayed a foot and say, okay, uh, I'm out. Uh, I've been acquired to quite a large sum, a significant one actually for the industry. Uh, so it's a recognition that the technology that I built with my team is actually worthwhile and, and impacting the world. But you decided then to move on and create uh, Plexion. And so what motivated you to with Plexium? What was the original idea and why Plexium? It, it, I mean, it, it, again, um, Omnium was um, a diversity of technologies and, and the one that Pacific Biosciences acquired uh, was one of the versions of the technology we had developed. The original concept that I wanted to, to build was a democratized decentralized sequencing. Uh, didn't quite uh, get the recognition or, 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 I mean, COVID came much later, uh, it, again, um, the original vision, the original product we built could have transformed COVID. But again, it was just, I was a little bit unsatisfied uh, that I didn't quite um, get to implement my vision. Uh, but I also, at that point, realized I had always thought that diagnostics was the end all and be all of healthcare. If you diagnose something, I always thought there was always a drug. But having built 
Plexium, uh, sorry, built Omnium, having talked to a lot of customers uh, in, in pharma, I realized that there was not always a drug and making a drug t took a lot of money, a long time. So I simply wanted to, um, you know, see if I could make a contribution in drug discovery. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I can't answer that. I mean, I'm I'm not satisfied. I'm I'm never satisfied with anything. I'm very demanding, even of my team. Um, I always like to keep pushing. It's just maybe a personality trait. Um, so I, I don't think I'll ever be satisfied with with uh, with what what I've, I've accomplished or, or done. So Plexium, the next company, was you know, just the itch to keep doing more important, interesting things. But this time in drug discovery. Um, I don't really have a, I, at that time, did not have any background in, in drug discovery or, you know, biology, drug discovery or chemistry. Um, I just knew that I could make a contribution there and I should be able to do something useful given my interdisciplinary background. So we just jumped in and, and, and built a company to do drug discovery. Yeah, it's very funny because I can totally see the uh, linear thread in between uh, your first uh, experience coming from an acad academia perspective, uh, specifically not in bio, but uh, in fundamental physics, and then going to work at Illumina. Uh, the the spin-off from uh, the academia to Illumina was actually consistent to me because you were looking at things from a physicist perspective, just in the way that the DNA was actually uh, perceived and manipulated. And we use that basically to acquire, uh, like you said, uh, the basic pipetting wet lab, all the skills that is required that allowed you to move from that original vision from looking at it from a physics perspective to start it to see it as a biologist would. And when you actually build Omnium, you had a clear idea of how you were going to make a contribution because that contribution was on the idea that now that you understood from uh, working uh, with one of the most impressive and um, solid tech companies in tech bio right now, you understood where there was still a lot of things that, ne that needed to be done. And I really love this idea of you of saying, okay, now that we have reached a stage where we know how to do sequencing, the next stage is about democratizing it, making sure that it can be done by anyone in a very decentralized way. And I think that has been kind of the main thread. And so moving from Omnium to Plexium, I can totally see why maybe somehow the way that I see it is Plexium was your introduction to drug screening and to a new context rather than just pure genomic and pure DNA sequencing and sequencing in general to something else such as drugs uh, developments. And when I think about it, well, there is Zafferent and Zafferent seems really like the combination of all of that. So what is Zafferent? And tell us more about Zafferent. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's, a, that's a great observation. Um, so Zafferent is, is um, fundamentally a way to do ultra, ultra high throughput experiments at ultra high resolution. So um, maybe let's take a step back. So all of biology and chemistry today that you know, everybody does in the lab is traditionally a 96 well paid experiment. You do 96 experiments at a time. And if you want to do higher throughput, you do a lot more of those 96 experiments with robotics and automation and so on. Um, 
And again, every bell in an analysis will play this 200 microliters of reagents. And if you're doing, you know, a hundred thousand compound screen or a hundred thousand kind of, you know, cell-based assay, that's a lot of reagents, a lot of time, a lot of automation. It eventually ends up being a very centralized facility. I mean, all drug discovery is a very, very centralized uh, endeavor at the moment. Um, but before I go into more reference, just to, to kind of touch a little bit on the Plexium story. Um, so at Omnium, because we were playing around the DNA quite a bit, um, there was a concept of DNA encoded libraries that was coming becoming prominent. Um, and traditional DNA encoded libraries are you have a small molecule that is synthesized at the end of a DNA strand. You do binding assays if uh, that small molecule binds to a protein um, by sequencing the DNA strand attached to it, you would identify what compound bound to the protein. Um, and the realization I had very early on was binding to a protein is not the same as having an effect on a cell. Um, the cell is a lot more complex, a lot of protein-protein interaction, uh, a lot more dynamic system. So figuring out how to do drug discovery, not through binding assays, but in cell-based assays, is the was the original driver at Plexium. So Zafrin's builds on that concept as well. So we want to do ultra-ultra high-throughput experiments, but at the resolution of cells down to single cells. And, so, and also sequencing the single cells so we can get not just high-throughput, but high-resolution. Uh, the 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 sequencing only because it is the most affordable high resolution technique we have today. I mean, we would like to be able to do proteomics and mass spec, but this becomes a lot more expensive uh, proposition. We still do proteomics. I'll come to that in just a little bit. So our goal as Athens is to simplify and democratize the process of doing experiments. Period, and 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 build value by adding specific applications on this. Um, high throughput, high resolution experimental platform. So rather than do 96 experiments at a time, we do anywhere from 100,000 to 300,000 experiments at a time uh, on, a, on, a, on a format that is maybe one fourth the size of a 96 volt plate. And there's no robotics involved. There's no complexity involved. To do the 100,000 to 300,000 experiments is one pipetting step. So we have simplified um, the process and the, and the logistics of doing high throughput experiments um, the same simplicity that people are used to today. Um, but they've added further elements that are not possible in conventional experimentation. In a traditional 96 volt plate experiment, doing a single cell assay or doing a complex um, cell cell interaction assay is a little bit more challenging. So, what we want to be able to do is develop a format for experimentation that is as flexible as the 96 volt plate, but can also do additional things that are difficult to do today. So we can add compounds, we can add cells, we can add multiple cells, we can look over time, we can image, we can sequence, everything you do in a 96 volt plate we can do on our format, but in addition, we can go down to single cells. So we can start looking at single cells and start looking at single cells interacting with other cells and sequence the single cells. Um, so that's the foundational platform we've developed. And um, the idea, is to allow us to ask questions that are today be shy away from asking because the, the process is expensive. Um, if you want to do an ultra high throughput drug discovery campaign or deep high resolution analysis of cells across say, tens of millions of cells, this is a very, very expensive proposition today. And we want to simplify that and see if in that process, we learn more insights. And, and again, just to kind of take a step back, um, just a very, very higher level concept behind that is, um, Today, we are in the era of AI. I mean, it's it's un undoubtedly, we're already there. Just, it's amazing, just in the last six months, it looks like we just banged right in the middle of it now. Um, and AI is enabled and, and the benefits of ChatGPT and all the learning models are, are enabled because we have data to train on. 
We have trillions of text-based data. We have trillions of image-based data that we can train systems on. But for biology and chemistry, we don't have that. I mean, the whole of AlphaFold was trained on maybe 1,000 crystal structures. Um, and, and that is all around how a protein folds and how a small molecule might interact with the protein. That is not biology. Biology is how proteins interact with each other, how cells interact with each other, how cells interact with their environment. There is actually not enough data points to even do a few shot learning accurately. So what we intend to do from a big picture is, could we create the volumes of data that, and the volumes of complex data that we can truly start applying the AI models to? Um, if historically, uh, the industries that have embraced these, um, these kind of new tools and, and, and new defining tools um, and, and companies that have been able to embrace that earlier on have become large companies. So we are hoping by enabling ultra high super data generation, um, we can bring on AI models and train AI models and generate novel insights and, and, and build a meaningful large company around that. You know, thank you for that. Uh, this has been uh, the sum of what I've been fighting for the last past five years. And it's really, uh, it's very warming for me to hear you say it out there. Uh, Eric Schmidt actually said in Symbiobeta uh, conference a couple of years back, uh, 2019, if I'm right, that the difference between uh, his industry and what he's saying by his industry is speaking about the internet industry. And uh, biology is that the reason why we are able to have a uh, recommendation on the best route to take when we are leaving a house and going to the airport or um, what we would like to consume when we are uh, choosing uh, for restaurants or uh, the recommendation when we want to watch a movie. All of that is due to the fact that we have millions, if not trillions of data points to allow the system to do that kind of recommendation. This is exactly what is lacking in biology today. And he has pointed out that biology is actually looking, uh, uh, looking at a wealth of innovation ahead, but to be able to reach that stage, we need the data point. And this is where I totally agree. Right now, what I see is your vision is actually very important because uh, around it is built two concepts. You said uh, we need to make it uh, easy of access. And we need to make sure that this is easily implementable. And the goal hand game is really to enable that creation of wealth in terms of data point in biology. And you're right when you say what we know right now is basic, yeah, protein uh, folding uh, mechanism, but just at the single protein level. We don't talk about the protein to protein interaction. And protein is just proteins, it's nothing without the expression, the function. It's not because you have the, the blueprint of, of the protein that you know how it's going to be expressed. And this is where leveling up and looking at things, not just at the protein level, but looking at it from the cell, single cell perspective, and then being able also to interact with it. Because again, we are in biology here, so it's, it's interactive. You need to know how, depending on what influence you, the, the cell will receive how it's going to behave because we all know now that depending on the environment the cell is going to adapt and the expression is not going to be the same from one environment to another and this is where the way that you've built that friend is really about providing the platform providing the tools that allow that level of first understanding but also production of data that allow for the future innovation actually to come forward so it's very important because 
you really focus on building these tools and this platform, uh, keeping in mind that this tool and this platform needed to be, again, like you said in your original vision, simple, something easily implementable in any lab, and they also democratize in terms of access price, because again, sequencing technology, ISO uh, technology, eye resolution technology has been kind of on a very high spectrum, uh, very costly. And if we want to see innovation, it cannot go without democratization. It's the same as you said about AI. AI is everywhere right now, but we don't talk about the fact that these models, they have been built by companies that have the ability to create this kind of Peta trillion data train uh, model, but how about the rest of us? We we are not all able to do that. So this is a mission for Zafrance, and it's about the the platform that is going to bring forward eye through through and eye resolution data being generated by being able to bring interaction and cell interaction level at the drug cell interaction level at the cell cell interaction level, so that we have better understanding. So. How did you go from that original bold vision, because it's an amazing vision, it's a bold vision, to first building a team, and then once you have the proper team, building the initial product? How did you go from that? Yeah, no, it, it is one of the more challenging aspects of um, a tech bio company, or at least the type of company that I have built or I've tried to build in the past, is these are massively interdisciplinary. So conventional... Um, tech bio companies or tools companies have, have focused on engineering. They typically build a tool, a box, and have other people run experiments on it. So what we've decided um, to, to do is to capture more value earlier on and, and maybe to direct the field in a certain way. We decided to create hypotheses that we want to probe first. So we want to pick up the most complex hypotheses and build the box or the tool to address those. So um, not only are we building a tool that we can eventually in the future democratize, but we're using the tools to derive or arrive at novel insights um, that we can monetize ourselves um, in, in the forms of assets and novel um, mechanisms and understandings and so on. So the challenge was finding biologists and chemists and engineers who would work with each other, um, not biologists adapting to engineers or chemists adapting to a, a tool, but uh, the engineers building a system that the biologists want to use. I mean, if you want to do cell-cell interaction, you need to build a, an engineering system that can accommodate different types of cells, where you can individually add cells of one type, cells of the other type, and so on. So, um, and again, um, and, and, and we've also built some drug discovery hypotheses on protein-protein interaction, cell-cell interactions. So um, that interdisciplinary uh, group of people that that is the um, I'd say secret sauce to uh, our our pace and, and our ability to get things done quickly um, and mostly again th these are people I've again I've, I've been doing this for about 10 12 years now at this interface so I have a network of people um, I have a network of appreciate the, the way um, this confluence needs to happen and we've been working together for a long time so a lot of the people at Zafrins we've been working together for for quite a bit of time um, and if you have, and again, we have now a perspective on uh, who the right fit would be. But at the at the core of it is basically being comfortable at the interface of different disciplines and being able to listen because um, an engineer wanting to do the best engineering or most complex engineering device is not going to help um, because they have to listen to what the biologist needs and what the chemist needs. So being able to listen and work together is the is the key here.
Yeah, I, I, I was watching your videos and uh, where you were going into details about uh, the implementation. And so it was very enlightening because you could see how each team and each team expertise was actually being leveraged from pure biology to engineering team, being able to create these pickle wells to the chemistry team, being able to build on top of these libraries and providing how to approach these libraries building to even uh, the biology team giving insight about um, the a kind of interaction and kind of um, uh, way that the platform needs to be developed to be able to bring on um, the vision. Because the vision is actually uh, multi-purpose. First, there is a need to create massive, uh, I would say, data. And that requires to multiply um, the number of experiment and analysis done on cells by a thousand, maybe one million, uh, multiple factors. So. That original, um, I would say, achievement, how did it work for your team and how did you go through that process of being able to bring forth the first component of your vision, meaning um, really high uh, amount of data being produced? Um, it's, uh, it's, 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 a, it's, it's an interesting way of thinking about it. It's, it's almost an engineering way of thinking about this interdisciplinary confluence. So traditionally in, in biotech, people talk about R and D. You do the research first and then you optimize it and do a development. Uh, but when you do an interdisciplinary project, um, it actually helps to have a development first and then research. Because if different disciplines and different people have different ideas on how something needs to be done, nothing gets done. Everything is always being continually tweaked and altered and everybody's using a different buffer, different types of plastic, different types of you know, fluidics. So uh, we almost have to come up with a process where you nail down um, a few things, and that is the way um, it stays until we substantially improve the performance. And you, you kind of gradually, it's, it's almost a lean methodology type of process. You continually uh, alter your SOP, standard operating procedures, um, but you have to come, you have to start with a, a standard operating procedure. You almost have to start with the development process first. Um, so yeah, again, we, I, I don't know if you started with, I think we started with 300,000 wells directly. We, we decided that um, the, 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 the core hypothesis is that we should be able to do high throughput experiments, a large number of experiments. So we started with, let's make that happen. So we actually dialed back. We started with, I think, 300,000 wells. We're now doing 50,000 wells, um, just so we, we don't have the, it's just way too much data to handle every day. So when we do proof of principle experiments and seeing if something works, um, we actually kind of um, dial back and, and do lower throughput experiments. So maybe that, that's one way to think about it is you kind of have to decide what's the most critical element and, and nail that down first. And then you can build on top of it and you can keep tweaking um, to, to, um, to bring the whole thing together in the end. So from that perspective, you went from basically uh, an initial proposition of what was being done in the industry, where you had only like a few thousand of crystal structure that were being uh, analyzed and possibly to maybe a few hundreds of drug cell interaction per protein class. So very, very low amount of experimentation being parallelized and run uh, together, where now in six months, you have run what, 4 million compounds has been synthesized. Um, millions, hundreds of millions of cells have been analyzed. And so this has created massive amount of data. And so how have you thought about leveraging these amount of data and what have, you, have been your strategy regarding that? Yeah, no, we're still working on it. Again, we, we spent all this time also together building all the pieces. Um, so it, it is, 
the, the, the key understanding, the realization is the cross-modality data improves the accuracy across all data uh, modalities. So we do imaging, we do sequencing, um, and imaging by itself is noisy because we work with few number of cells. Sequencing by itself is noisy, but the combination of imaging and sequencing uh, is, 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 is beautiful. Um, so, um, so realizing that not just one data modality, but you know, combining different data modalities um, unlocks more. Um, and again, you can do a lot more, uh, let's call it dirty experiments or, or uh, uh, few cell experiments uh, per well and still get high fidelity data because you can combine the data modalities. So it, it's not it's not been anything complicated. We just save the imaging data, we save the sequencing data, uh, and we're hoping that over time, uh, as the data volume increases, we can start interpreting them. Uh, typically, we do smaller number of experiments per day, just because we're still optimizing the sequencing conditions, the drug discovery conditions. Um, our sense is by the end of this year is when we will truly start you now pushing the limits of uh, you know the, the the data volume and, and even handling the data. Uh, you said something very interesting here. You were mentioning uh, the multi-modality aspect of uh, the data that were generated by your team uh, more than just the volume, because again, uh, at this level, because we're talking about a cell level, single cell level base uh, information here. And so what it means is it's super noisy. And so the ability to have the combination of both imaging and sequencing of these cells actually allow for your team to have a better understanding of the behavior, and the interaction in between the cells, of the interaction in between the cells and potentially external factors. And this is where maybe there's another part of the value proposition of your platform and what you've been building, which is to me super interesting because it was never about just the production of data for the value of data without trying to make sense out of it. It means making sense. And so in the way that you've built that friends, you have allowed for interaction. So that means that you can have external stimulator, whether it is, I don't know, electric signal if we want to, but in that case, one of the main um, uh, way of thinking about it is drugs compound that can be injected into at the assay level and that allow for drug screening at the million of, uh, I would say, uh, compound levels. So that is in itself, I think, a very huge achievement because drug screening as, uh, is a very, mm, I would say, dreadful to say the least. And so if you have the ability to screen compounds on millions of cells at the same time, this is a huge value add for pharmaceutical companies in the process of trying to develop their drug because as you said earlier it's a very very daunting uh endeavor developing a drug in itself in its cycle takes in between eight and ten years in general i'm not talking about the covid cases here in the case of the covid vaccine but generally it takes eight to ten years of clinical trials and validation and screening and identification of compounds and so that ability to be able to really fast forward that uh, screening compound compound screening uh, phase by being able to run these experiments at scale is already in itself a demonstration of the value proposition and, and uh, the offer um, made by Zafrens. And so how did you leverage this into the way that you started to build uh, initial uh, interaction with your end customers, your initial future end customers? Because as you said, you had this very lean approach where it was never about doing the research first and then developing, but really kind of having 
uh, a very iterative way of building your product while already trying to deliver value. So how did you, you know, originally identify your first customers and work with them towards helping you building that plans? Yeah, no, there, there's some, some some amazing observations there. So let me just address them and then I'll answer oh, yeah. your question. Oh, yeah. So the, 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 yeah, again, the, the, the notion that um, sequencing and um, the, the data uh, single the single cell level being noisy and and, and so on. Um, the 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 more pertinent observation is sequencing doesn't really tell you very much about the function of a cell. So people have known it for a long time. Even the, the human genome, a long time ago, people keep sequencing all. You can sequence all you want, but sequencing has very little to do with the actual function of a cell. That's where the imaging comes in. So connecting sequencing to imaging in a ninety six bulb plate is is fairly trivial. I mean, you, you know, there's only ninety six location the cell was in and you can image, relate the images at the location to the sequence at that location but we actually connect the images of the cells or functional information of the cells to their sequences across hundred thousand at least maybe we can do across hundreds of thousands of cells at a time which is the unique part um, so what we're able to deliver is basically um, how the molecular state of the cell which is represented by RNA sequencing and, and you know, proteomics and so on how those manifest as function we don't quite understand that, let alone at the single cell level. Um, so that is the first thing that, that we are quite uh, specialized in, and in that for live cells in a cell-cell interaction or in a co-culture context, we can actually tell you what the molecular state of each of the cell, um, how each of the molecular states are influenced by each of the other cells and how that manifests as function. And the second aspect that you also brought on is the cell is so complex. I mean, there's no, at least, 20,000 canonical or types of proteins, but likely 200,000 splice forms that are interacting. And it's a, it's a highly complex system. Even, even assuming one protein interacts with the, the 20,000 others, um, it's a 20,000 times 20,000 possible interactions that are happening that results in the function of a cell. So it's a really, really dynamic and complex system. And one way traditionally to study these dynamic systems are to perturb them, to add some external influences and see how um, how that changes the system. So it's a control theory, complexity theory. So it's it's a it's a it's it's a fairly well understood mechanism to understand a system is to perturb them in controlled ways. Um, so people have started doing that using perturb seek and using CRISPR and libraries of CRISPR perturbations. Um, so like you notice, we we also specialize in external perturbations. We add small molecules, we add peptides um, to 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 perturb the cells and observe how the cell responds to these uh, really really high throughput perturbations. Um, and, and given that our specialization in understanding drug cell interactions, cell cell interactions, um, the, the high value applications uh, that we observe are, for example, in immunotherapies and in cell therapies today, um, the, the complexity is there, there's about 10 billion different T cells in our body. Each T cell recognizes a different antigen, different tumor cell. Um, how do we pan for which T cell uh, selectively interacts with, say, a tumor antigen of interest, uh, and being able to do that in functional assays. So um, the the standard of the art today is you use for cytokine secretion or some kind of binding assay, and we have observed that binding does not equal function. So being able to actually do a cell-cell interaction assay where we can look for T cells selectively killing tumor cells, selectively killing antigen-presenting cells is one application. Uh, the standard of art today is thousands of cells, which like instruments like Berkeley lights, and other uh, fluid ion type of instruments, and thousands of cells is a far cry from the billions of cells we need to be able to analyze. So very simply doing cell-cell interactions 
and, and profiling them at higher throughput is valuable. So that's one application. And the other, like you notice, is also drug discovery is expensive, complex, slow. Um, being able to add the external perturbations on top of cells. Um, in this case, it's not just an understanding of cells, it's actually a, a, an applicable drug discovery product. Um, so those are the areas that we have started um, talking to customers um, and, and, and I've started kind of doing some partnerships around. In a drug discovery, we have some specific um, teams in that given that we can study molecular states and how molecular states manifest as function, our drug discovery teams are around, can you alter the process? Can you alter how molecular states become function? Because we can study both, uh, we can study how an alteration of that process happens. So could you alter how RNA becomes proteins? Could you alter how DNA becomes RNA? So those are the themes that uh, we're exploring in drug discovery. So many, so many things to unpack here. Um, I want to first start with, um, again, going back to the vision. And this is where I realize uh, having a strong vision and having a founder with a strong vision changes everything. Uh, it's important because uh, your vision from the beginning was democratizing. And this is where building the technology the way that you did uh, allowed you to have this kind of discussion with these uh, teams within the pharmaceutical companies because if you had gone for example for very highly complex robotics uh, and automation implementation this would have not been so easily feasible because how can you go and reach a team and convince them that they need to put in a request internally to ask for an extensive amount of budget to be able to change the entire lab setup to be able to implement robotics, which will require team training and new maybe hires to add all the robots. And there's a lot of complexity there. This is where uh, your approach basically uh, allow and guarantee for these teams to be able to get set, it, set up very quickly with your product and be able to get going with what is the core of what they're trying to do. So what they're trying to do is really to get that level of understanding at the cell-cell interaction level that they need to be able to move forward. So there's a couple of things here. There is the delay, the time that it takes to get to that high amount of screening, high amount of information, um, I would say. And then again, we said, and you said it from the beginning, the price, the price to do that. So in your case, it only takes $5 a ship to isolate around roughly 300,000 cells. And that means that, for example, to synthesize a 1 million compound, it will take around roughly 30K. Uh, so this is kind of a, uh, a more slow kind of uh, paradigm shift that we want to see happening in bio. And also the time that it takes actually to go through that, you know, thinking that it takes less than a day, roughly maybe a day, to go through roughly a screening 1 million compound. This is also the kind of, kind of, you know, really exponential, I would say, innovation that we need and we need to see deployed if we really want to benefit from the multiple, multimodal data, high profit value that is being built. And this is where I find, I find the value proposition of that friend very, very interesting. So rolling back to the use cases, uh, we were talking about um, drug screening and uh, the natural connection with pharmaceutical companies. I think there's um, behind it, much, much more than just drug screening, if we want to be honest here, because um, innovation in pharma has changed a lot over the last couple of years. Now we're talking about cell therapies, we're talking about biologics, we're talking about gene therapies, we're talking about small molecule, uh, RNA vaccine. And it is a huge, amazing market from a pure, I would say, 
uh, investment perspective. Biologic itself, it's a $120 billion market. So these are solid market where there is a lot of revenue that needs to be made. But the component missing is how do you do, how do you address uh, the needs from these markets? And this is where Zafran offers something that I think it is needed because around you need to have access to the ability to support these new type of therapeutics and they come with a set of requirements and constraints. And again, this is where the constraint of, do you understand the function? Meaning, do you understand what's happening other than just the uh, pure, I would say sequencing and understanding at the protein level, but do you understand what's happening on the cell-cell interaction becomes so valuable. So, in the way that you have thought about Zafran, the platform development, now you're clearly positioned compared to your main competitor as the only company, I would say, more or less, that uh, is offering or intends to offer tools, workflow, data for not just multi-omics, but also multi-omics plus function, drug discovery, and all of that wrap up with the ability to leverage AI on top of it. So. How do you see the future and what are you thinking about when you're thinking about the future of Zafrans? Yeah, no, you, you brought up a lot of interesting points. You already touched upon it. So traditionally, um, the drug discovery used to be a very, very manual process. And the second generation companies like Recursion, Ginkgo, they industrialized it. So they brought in robotics. So um, the scale could be more easily um, enabled by having robotics around the experiments, but each companies have also invested a couple hundred million to $500 million to set up the infrastructure, which now became a very centralized um, kind of process. So we represent maybe the third wave of this um, throughput revolution in that rather than use robotics, there's no robotics in what we do. I mean, we can do higher throughput experiments than any robotic platform can do on just on a bench top. Um, and, and the way we do that, the reason we're able to do that is we miniaturize everything. And in, in miniaturizing everything, you increase the noise. But to counter that, we use multimodal data to, again, we use imaging data and sequencing data or proteomics data um, to, to counteract uh, any fidelity loss that we encounter in miniaturizing things. Um, so that is the observation that, that um, what was a very, very bespoke, very, very long process, very, very unreliable process was then roboticized, automated, but fairly um, expensive capital infrastructure. Uh, and we're moving to now, like you mentioned, a Moore's law, um, where you don't require robotics to get the same throughput. In fact, you can go significantly thousand times higher throughput um, for you know, even a thousand times to a million times lower cost. Um, so we think that is going to be the future. Um, and, and the way from a business perspective, we're looking at it is um, while we enable the future, there are things we can do today um, using the scale and resolution. And so we're taking on the biggest, the most difficult problems or the most uh, impactful problems that are enabled by scale and resolution. And we're choosing to do it ourselves rather than sell a box and let people imagine what they could do with it. Uh, we are jumping in because uh, we think there's a bigger value in unlocking those uh, opportunities. So, um, yeah, no, I think this is going to be the future um, of, of, of um, the, the third wave of drug discovery, which is getting beyond robotics into more decentralized benchtop experimentation. Uh, I think the next 10 to 15 years, it'll become a lot more common. Um, and again, in terms of what we're doing, um, again, we're still building the platform. It's, it's, in a, it's in a place where we can routinely run really, really high throughput experiments. Um, but again, we still have to optimize it and scale it up. So again, we're still a small company um, and we are in the process of scaling it up and taking on more difficult challenges and unlocking more insights.
Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. There is so many questions that I could ask about uh, the pure um, AI modeling in itself, but I want to keep it simple. Uh, I'll be looking forward to having you and your team talking more about the tech behind everything that you have built. But uh, thank you so much for this uh, talk today. If people want to reach out to you, what would be the best way to reach out to you? Yeah, I'm always available on LinkedIn and my email is swami at saffrons.com. Uh, always happy to chat. Thank you, Swami. Thank you so much. Thank you, Loretta. Thanks for, thanks for the time and the questions. Thanks for listening to the Next Sequence Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the letters from us, you can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.